If you're enjoying this Med Prep to Go Step 1 podcast, you can now get the content along with the content of the Crush Step 1 podcast ad-free in one bundle. Just go to medpreptogo.com and find our new subscription podcast called Med Prep to Go Step 1 Bundle. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Dr. Raj, quadruple board certified doctor in pulmonary critical care, internal medicine, and sleep medicine. And um, my book series is Morning Report Beyond the Pearls. So is my medical podcast, which is also called Beyond the Pearls. And today I'm here talking about something I'm super fired about, which is what you're listening to, which is the Med Prep to Go podcast. And in this podcast, I'll be reviewing three USMLE step one questions. And today I'll be reviewing questions from pathology. So to get more questions like this, go to our website, www.medpreptogo.com. This is a free audio and online uh, question bank. And if you want to learn more about me, I already told you, go to uh, beyondthepearls.com. Check me out on all of these social media uh, platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. I'll be happy to connect with you. And let's get started. So we have a 37-year-old G5P005 woman presents to the emergency department with abnormal uterine bleeding for the past week and shortness of breath for the past two days. You know what jumps to my mind? You know, just my inner monologue. Well, could it be a pulmonary embolism? You know, of course, when you're, you know, pregnant, that's going to be a high risk. But who knows? It means she's soon after, you know, uh, the, the pregnancy. I know that doesn't relate to the abnormal uterine bleeding, but you say shortness of breath. Who knows? Or maybe could there be a malignancy? And now she's short of breath and she had a clot. I don't know. All these things jump to my mind. You know, and she was short of breath for the past two days. Uh, she has not had any prenatal care for the current pregnancy. And her earlier pregnancies have all been uncomplicated vaginal deliveries. So, wow. Um, already I'm worried. So, 37-year-old ER 
abdominal urine breathing for the past week, shortness of breath, past two days. Let's see. She states that her last menstrual period was about 12 weeks ago. Past medical history is otherwise unremarkable. On physical exam, breast sounds are decreased bilaterally and measurement of fundal height is consistent with a pregnancy of 30 weeks gestation. There is scant vaginal bleeding on speculum exam. 88CG measures 22,000. That's milli IUs per ml. She is referred for further evaluation of choriocarcinoma. Which of the following is the most common site of metastases of choriocarcinoma? Well, I didn't see that coming. Well, um, the answers are A, heart, B, kidney, C, lungs, uh, D, pancreas, and E, thyroid. So the right answer here is actually lungs, and I am the lung doctor. Uh, gestational choriocarcinoma consists of a highly vascular, invasive, and anaplastic trophoblastic tissue made up of cytotrophoblasts and syntestiotrophoblasts without villi. Choriocarcinoma can follow a non-molar or a molar pregnancy, where it is more common after a complete mole than a partial mole. Choriocarcinoma is the most aggressive histologic type of gestational tropoblastic neoplasia and is characterized by early vascular invasion and widespread metastasis. The clinical presentation of choriocarcinoma depends upon the extent of disease and location of metastasis. One of the earliest signs of widespread disease is continued bleeding from various sites even after a resolution of a pregnancy. 80% of metastases are to the lungs, followed by vagina, central nervous system, and liver. Patients with pulmonary metastasis have lesions identified on chest imaging and can present with cough, dyspnea, or signs of pulmonary hypertension. So what's the learning point here, everyone? Choriocarcinoma is characterized by early widespread metastasis, most commonly to the lungs. Next question. This is a seven-year-old boy is brought into clinic by his parents who are concerned about his academic performance. They state that he is constantly in trouble for not paying attention in class and has received numerous detentions for being, quote, off task, end quote. The parents say he is generally well behaved at home, although he does sometimes take a long time to complete his homework because he is very meticulous and checks his work multiple times to make sure it is correct. Birth history and past medical history are unremarkable. During the office visit, the patient is well behaved in the exam room and sits in the corner coloring. Occasionally, he stares into space for eight to 10 seconds, making slight smacking motion with his lips. Which of the following would be the best treatment for the condition that is most likely affecting this patient? Is it A, carbamazepine, B, clonidine, C, cognitive behavioral therapy, D, ethosoxamide, E, methylphenidate? And the right answer here is D, ethosuximide. You know, the vignette describes the classic findings of absent seizures, which generally last less than 10 seconds, involving staring spells and can include rhythmic movements, such as smacking of the lips. 
Ethosuximide is the first-line treatment for absent seizures, while proic acid is another common treatment that is generally second-line. Absent seizures and attention deficit slash hyperactivity, ADHD, are often confused. However, this patient does not show any signs of hyperactivity and no signs of inattention other than, you know, the staring spells. Additionally, he is only experiencing difficulty in one setting, school. And we need to be experiencing problems in at least two settings to be diagnosed with ADHD. Answer choice A, carbamazepine is a useful antileptic, but is not useful in the setting of absent seizures. Answer choice B, clonidine is an appropriate treatment for Tourette syndrome. Although the patient is exhibiting some tick-like movements, he does not meet the criteria for Tourette syndrome, as this requires two or more motor tics and at least one vocal tic. So choice C, conduct behavioral therapy, is helpful in treating obsessive compulsive disorders, OCD. Although this patient is meticulous about his homework, this is not enough to suggest a diagnosis of OCD. And answer choice E, methylphenidate, would be appropriate for ADHD. Absent seizures and ADHD are also often confused. However, this patient does not show any signs of hyperactivity and no other signs of inattention other than the staring spells. Additionally, he's only experiencing difficulties in one setting, school, and we need to be experiencing problems in at least two settings to be diagnosed with ADHD. So what is the learning point here? Ethosuximide is the first line treatment for absent seizures. Valproic acid is another common treatment that's generally gonna be second line. So let's do our last question together. This is gonna be an 18 year old gentleman presents to the clinic with the complaint of fatigue and a cough productive of green sputum for the past two days. He has no significant medical condition. Social history reveals that he is sexually active with other men. Vital signs show a temperature of 101 Fahrenheit, which is 83.3 degrees Celsius, heart rate of 96, respiratory rate of 21, oxygen saturation is 98% on room air. Physical exam reveals tachycardia, dyspnea, and bilateral crackles on lung auscultation. Blood tests show increased levels of lactate dehydrogenase and a CD4 count of 182. HIV test is ordered, but it's pending. Chest x-ray reveals diffuse bilateral interstitial infiltrates. He is prescribed trimethoprim sulfate. Which of the following is the most likely causative organism? So is it A, Haemophilus influenza, B, Pneumocystis gerbici, C, Pseudomonas, D, Staph aureus, E, Strep pyogenes, group A strep. You know, so when you look at these choices, you know, common things are always common. You know what I mean? If they had a choice of, you know, Strep pneumo, would I probably pick that one? Probably. You know, you say HIV positive, CD4 count less than 200, of course. You know, tickling you to pick PCP pneumonia, now known as pneumocystis gerobici. You know, H influenza, definitely common when we talk about people with COPD, community acquired pneumonias. Staph aureus, maybe something of someone who was post maybe a viral infection of some kind. And group A strep, definitely, I think of strep throat, it can cause pneumonia, but would jump out at me. And when you say pseudomonas, of course, you know, when you think of green sputum, you know, but I think of pseudomonas and staph aureus mainly with what? 
nosocomial pneumonias, hospital-associated pneumonias, ventilator-associated pneumonias. So I think right here, you know, with all things put together, the elevated lactate dehydrogenase, you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm going with the uh, choice B, pneumocystis gerovici. And you know what? That was the right answer. It's a fungus that can cause a lethal pneumonia in hosts with a debilitated immune system, meaning that we have seen PCP pneumonia occur in people with HIV and people are just immunocompromised because they're on chemotherapy, high-dose steroids, you know. The history and physical examination suggests pneumonia and the CD4 count less than 200 in a patient with HIV infection, you know, is a diagnostic of a acquired immunodeficiency syndrome, AIDS. An elevated lactate dehydrogenase can be used as a clinical indicator of possible pneumocystis gerovici pneumonia in HIV-infected individuals, but has little utility in patients without HIV. And let me just say this, you know, this is why it's so important when someone with HIV, you know, compromise comes in and you have pneumocystis in the gerovici, that if you can, you know, sure you can collect sputums, but this is really where we do bronchoscopy because common things are common. Is it gonna be community-acquired pneumonia and strep pneumonia? Is it gonna be PCP? And by doing a bronchoscopy and a bronchoalveolar lavage, you really can help out that diagnosis with a high sensitivity and specificity. You know, uh, I do agree just getting some labs, lactate dehydrogenase is very nonspecific. Chest x-ray findings are nonspecific. It could be many things put together. Although all the, of the answer choices listed can cause pneumonia, the clinical findings outlined are most consistent with pneumocystis gerovici in this vignette. And of course, when we talk about trimethoprim sulfate, which goes by the brand name Bactrim, you know, it is a treatment of choice when we talk about PCP pneumonia. And if they don't get the chance to mention it, I will say that in patients who are very hypoxic, we do add steroids to um, the Bactrim when we talk about PCP pneumonia. So learning point, Pneumocystis gerovici can cause pneumonia in immunocompromised individuals and those with HIV infection with a low CD4 count less than 200. Bactrim is the preferred treatment of choice for PCP pneumonia and those with abnormalities in oxygen exchange at the time of presentation, as mentioned before, would benefit from corticosteroids as well. So those are our questions here and I hope you enjoyed them. And please go check out www.medprep2go.com. Thank you.